Hello, church, and welcome back to the Apostles Mailbox, where today we're talking about testimony. Specifically, we're going to see some testimony about John the Baptist and about Jesus. But you don't have to take my word for it, because we're going to find it together in John chapter 1. All right, so uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1. I started with that allusion, with that quote, if you will, actually, of uh, LeVar Burton, how he used to start episodes of uh, reading Rainbow uh, when he was talking about reading things in books and not just trusting that whatever he said was true. And, uh, and, and, and this is actually at the heart, I think, of John's gospel. And I think that because John actually tells us that. So we're going to read uh, John 1, 19 through 28, which is where we're eventually, uh, where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. But before we do that, actually, I, I wanted to um, just go really quickly to John telling us what, what his purpose in reading this and writing this gospel was. And so in John 20, at the very end of this book, we read, Now John did many other signs, or Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that is, these signs that he did, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is, the Messiah, we'll talk about this in a little bit, that he was the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John just flat out tells us that his point, that what he wants us to understand and believe as we read the testimony of what's written here, is we're supposed to believe that Jesus was the Christ, uh, we're expected to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we're expected to believe that by believing these things, right, we have life in his name. And so uh, we're going to look at John 1, 19 through 28 today, and we're going to meet John the Baptist, and he's going to tell us, he's going to start to clarify some of these things. And, and I think that John is recording these things so that we're clear that he was, he's not the only one who believed this, right, from the very beginning, somebody very respected and trustworthy also had these ideas. So uh, we're going to be, like I said, in John 1, and uh, and you can turn there with me if you have a Bible. Otherwise, I'll just pull it up on the screen here. And here's what uh, we read. This is the testimony of John, John that is the Baptist, uh, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And then they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophets Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. All right, so a few things just become very immediately obvious to us as we talk about these witnesses as to Jesus. Uh, the first that one that we're going to meet is John. And, and John, John the Baptist, uh, is described here, right, as being absolutely, perfectly, evidently clear about who he is and who he isn't. 
And uh, this is important for us to understand here, I think, um, because in our heads, like we are, we're 20th, we're 21st century Christians, right? We have this picture of what was happening in that day that's in our head. And it, that picture was, it grew up sort of in maybe in Sunday school lessons, and it grew up in maybe Hollywood representations of things. But we, we all have a picture in our head of what was going on in that day. And that's quite different, actually, probably than what John's original audience would have um, had so if you if you if you can <laughs> if you can imagine with me right a, a world without internet without television without even radio stations a place where most people could not read and write and didn't read books or newspapers or magazines of any sort where most of what was taught was was taught and learned orally verbally right and news was passed around by people word of mouth, um, you, you get a, a picture of a play of a world that in some ways is much smaller, right? So if, if for instance, uh, you know that at the beginning of this week, um, the end of last week, that, that Israel was attacked by, by Hamas, by a terrorist organization, uh, in, in quite a and quite a bloody series of events, and Israel has retaliated. And you know this because that news came to you scant minutes or hours after it started. But if you had lived 2,000 years ago, you would not even know, it would be impossible here in America to know that had happened for, for a matter of, of like months, because that news would have had to be carried uh, by foot or by horse or by boat uh, from practically the other side of the world. And it takes a long time for news to travel that way, right? So what's going on here? Uh, John points out to us in verse 28, he says, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now there is a Bethany on the Jerusalem side, if you will, on the Jerusalem side of the border, um, a little town called Bethany. This is where Lazarus lived. Uh, but John points out in this gospel that this these things took place in, in what is called Bethany across the Jordan. So it's on the other side of the Jordan River. So you had Jerusalem, and to the, to the east then, you have the Dead Sea, you have the, the Jordan River, which flows from the Sea of Galilee uh, down into the Dead Sea. And it, and it sort of split uh, the main portion of Israel from what was called the Transjordan, or that which was across the Jordan. So there's this geographical barrier, but there's also a distance. Now, we don't know of a, of a town named Bethany across the Jordan, and it is possible that this is referring to a, a region called Bethania um, that was across the Jordan, or it could, some people think that, that there was a, a, a city with a similar name over there. Uh, the point is not perhaps uh, identifying the exact location or if it was a region or a village. Uh, the point is this, that these things were happening across a major river, a major barrier between uh, Jerusalem and this outward-lying region, and that news has spread of what John the Baptist is doing. It has made its way to Jerusalem, and it is significant enough Right? It is significant enough that we're told that the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John the Baptist, who are you? 
In other words, John is known. He is well known. Um, he is well known enough that when he's off baptizing people, that the religious leaders in Jerusalem hear about it and they're concerned about it and they want to find out what's going on. And so they send a bunch of people, not just one, but uh, priests and Levites, we're told, they're sent to, to get the information of what's going on. We know, of course, later that uh, Herod is going to arrest John the Baptist because he's sort of making a big deal about some immoral behavior, and eventually you'll have John the Baptist beheaded. So it's, you know, you, you, you might think like, oh yeah, it's John the Baptist, I kind of know a little bit about him. But in that day, uh, John the Baptist was the, was the famous name in, in sort of revolutionary religious circles, right? He was, he was known, he was a threat, that he had become a significant person. And so John, the writer of the gospel, is going to tell us, hey, you know that John the Baptist guy, right? You know that guy who is out far away from Jerusalem, or reasonably far away, who is who is was making such waves that Jerusalem heard about him and sent people to investigate. You know, the guy who made a stench of himself to Herod to the point of being arrested and then eventually killed. Like, this guy was known. He was a famous dude, right? Uh, there's a, think of, think of, um, Think of politicians or or partisans, people you know with big mouths, famous YouTubers or whatever that everybody knows about. It would be like if John pointed at one of them and said, "Hey, you know, like here's what Rush Limbaugh had to say, or or here's what Donald Trump had to say, or uh, you know, here's what um, Joe Biden had to say." Me, maybe not like the president or anything, but but somebody significant, right? Here's what Al Sharpton had to say about about what was going on, right? Somebody that people would know and that people would have probably an opinion about or would have heard of, okay? So uh, the, the, the religious leaders, they send to, to see what's going on. And then here's the testimony John has, right? So primarily, probably, the concern that the religious leaders would have would be, is this, is this some sort of like real thing from God? Or is it a revolutionary thing? Or who does who does this guy think he is, right? So uh, John the Baptist, then we're told, he confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. So uh, John the Baptist, we're told in very explicit terms, like, uh, you know, this is, this is doubly reinforced. He confessed this. He didn't uh, he didn't deny that he wasn't the Christ, but he actually confessed it. He said, I am not the Christ. And you, of course, you, you know, you hear this, and, and depending on your background, you might think like, uh, so what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. Uh, Christ was not Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ uh, is not is not Jesus' formal name. His his name was, was Jesus, or Yeshua, probably, um, and, uh, and, and he was called the Christ, and the Christ was a mark of God's setting someone apart or choosing someone for a specific purpose, someone who was anointed, someone who was, who was raised up for a purpose. And, and so the Jews had different ideas, depending on 
who you are and what school of thought you came from. They had different ideas about what the what the Christ was, what this anointed one meant and would bring and would do. Uh, but in general terms, there was this idea in that time that there was someone that God was going to send with a very specific uh, sort of end time significance, uh, the anointed one, the Messiah. So the word Messiah in the Old Testament is from Hebrew. Uh, it referred to this anointed one. And uh, John specifically says, I am not the anointed one. Now, many leaders, priests were anointed, kings were anointed. Uh, many leaders in Jewish culture were anointed. So you could say they were a, a Messiah with like a lowercase m, maybe. Uh, but John is, is saying, I am not the Christ. He uses the definite article. He's not talking about, I'm not anointed for anything. He's saying, I'm not the one you guys are expecting that God would anoint and send, right? So he says, I'm not the anointed one. I'm not the one that we've been waiting for. Okay, so then these priests and these Levites, they followed up and they say, okay, then are you Elijah? And you go like, why would they even ask that question, um, are you Elijah? And the answer to that is that uh, the, the Jews knew Malachi 4.5. Uh, here's what it says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So, through the prophet Malachi, God had said, I'm going to send you Elijah. Now, this was long after Elijah had been taken up, right, from the earth in a chariot of fire. And so Elijah didn't actually die. He was he was assumed into heaven, if you will, with chariots of fire. Uh, and so the Jews had this idea, right, that when God said he was going to send Elijah, that Elijah would come. And so they asked John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And, and John the Baptist says, I am not. And you think, okay, so he's not Elijah. Uh, but here's the thing. He actually was Elijah. So in Matthew 11, Jesus puts it this way. <laughs> Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John... And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus says, you had all of these prophets and all the law that were looking ahead to something yet to come. And then John the Baptist, he came and he is the most important of the prophets. Uh, there, is, there is none uh, up until the time of John greater than him, which is a really significant thing, right? Because that means that John was greater uh, than Elijah and Elisha. And that's, you know, these guys did incredible miracles. Uh, he's greater than Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. You know, John the Baptist didn't have a book of the Bible written by him. Like, what's going on? Uh, but Jesus says John the Baptist is the greatest prophet. And, and I think what he's referring to, of course, is the fact that John the Baptist was the one closest to Jesus and actually pointed him out more clearly than any of the other prophets that talked about Jesus did, right? So he's the, uh, he's the biggest, he's the clearest witness as to who Jesus is. 
Uh, but when Jesus says Elijah the, he is Elijah the prophet, what he's saying is that Malachi's prophecy has been fulfilled. And I think the reason that John the Baptist says, I am not Elijah the prophet, is because John the Baptist knows that he is not like the reincarnation of Elijah the prophet. He is not Elijah having descended from heaven. He's not literally Elijah. And uh, perhaps he knows that if he, if he claimed to be Elijah, uh, then the, the Pharisees and the priests, they would kind of freak out um, because uh, <laughs> they might kill him, right, for daring to claim to be Elijah. But they, they probably would have taken that as like a literal, like this is, this is the same dude with the same DNA as Elijah the prophet. And, and John the Baptist is like, no. So what was being pointed at in this prophecy of Malachi was fulfilled in John the Baptist. He is Elijah in, in the prophetic sense, uh, but he is not Elijah in the literal sense, right? And, and you know, I, I, you, you think about sometimes, like, if you know really, really, like, very ultra-conservative people who like to just read the Bible in this woodenly literal sense and just say, you know, like, that verse about camels fitting through the eye of the needle is really about trying to cram a physical camel through the eye of a physical needle. Like, um, you, you might know the type of person who says, like, oh, well, there's a prophecy and it has to be, it has to be fulfilled exactly. Um, and this is, this is evidence, if you will, that, that the Bible is not written in, all, in that same way. That's not to say there aren't ever things like uh, that are very clear and, and fairly concrete, but that prophecy tends to have, a, in many ways, a figurative and a metaphorical weight and a meaning to it that is bigger than just this wooden literal deal, right? So, um, yeah, I won't give any more specifics than that because we'll probably just distract from that. <laughs> the point here. So John the Baptist says, number one, he's not the Christ, uh, which is true. He's not the anointed one everybody's been waiting for, um, who's going to sort of deliver Israel. Uh, he says he's not Elijah, though prophetically speaking, he is the fulfillment of the promise that Elijah would come. And then they ask, are you the prophet? And if you have an English Standard Version, the prophet is uh, highlighted, or sorry, is capitalized. And if you have a footnote here, um, you'll notice the, the footnote says, uh, see Deuteronomy 8, chapter 18. And, and I, wanted to, um, I wanted to take a little bit of a, of a, a detour here if you will, and talk about this. Uh, so in Deuteronomy 18, remember, Deuteronomy, uh, written by Moses, uh, traditionally regarded in that way, and, and Moses is speaking here in Deuteronomy 18. And so in Deuteronomy 18, we have this promise. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. 
And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And so the Jews, being familiar with this prophecy from Deuteronomy 18, that somebody like Moses, right? Now Moses was the big cheese. He was the head kahuna. He was the guy who went up on the mountain and God gave him the, the law, right? The real the, the requirements, the word of God, he had get, God had given this to Moses. And then Moses says, you're going to get another prophet like me. God's going to raise another prophet like me. And, and interestingly enough, right, Moses says, he will be raised up from among your brothers, right? And so what we saw in the prologue, that the word became flesh, right? That Jesus was actually born a human being. He was raised up then from among the brothers. And so the Jewish leaders, they're looking for a few people they're expecting to come. They're expecting the Messiah to come, deliver them. They're expecting Elijah to come before the end. They're expecting the prophet uh, to come, somebody who's going to be um, like Moses. And, uh, and, and John the Baptist says, no, I'm not the prophet either. And I think that the evangelist, John, the guy who's writing this gospel, uh, puts this in here quite directly um, because what we understand is that Jesus is indeed the prophet who is promised to come. And we can see this in, uh, I believe it's Acts 3. Um, let me just pull this up here. So, uh, so um, Peter then is, is preaching and, and, and he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Right? And so, uh, this is this is Peter preaching about Jesus, and he says that prophet was Jesus. And notice it says, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And so, that's what we have going on here uh, when John says, I'm not the prophet, and the Jews are asking, are, are looking to see if he's the prophet. So, uh, to get back to our text then, uh, these, these Jews, right, they ask, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us, right? They've been sent to figure out what's going on. What do you say about yourself? And he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, this is a huge claim, right? John says, Isaiah, your prophet, right? The one who you highly regard, he promised that I would come. I'm that dude. I'm the dude that makes the way, that prepares the way of the Lord. I'm the one who, who paves the way for what is to come. And uh, this is a, you know, this is a massive claim. How would you take it if somebody today got up in front of a church and said, you know, the Bible prophesied that I would come in, the, in, in this verse, right? That would be a, a massive claim. Not, you know, not just to say like, oh, God God promised that, that he'd send pastors or that they should be elders, and I'm one of those elders. But like if somebody legitimately said like, oh, hey, this character in the book of Revelation, that's me, that would be a huge claim, wouldn't it? And that's what John the Baptist says, uh, he says, I'm the dude that Isaiah was talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Now, these people have been sent from the Pharisees, we're told. And the Pharisees were a rather conservative sect of, um, of Jewish leaders. 
They were big on keeping the law and maintaining the law. And so they asked him, they said, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And we say, well, what, you know, why are they concerned that he's baptizing, right? And the answer for that is that baptism was used, uh, it was this use of water, and it, it was typically used in one of two ways. It was either used as a sign of conversion into something, uh, or it was it was used for cleansing. Now, John the Baptist is baptizing Jews. So if a Gentile wanted to join a Jewish uh, group of people, then then sometimes some of their some of those Jewish sects might baptize them as a sign of their conversion into this into this group or this movement. But if you were already a Jew, then to be converted would be to leave God, right? It would be to to leave the the chosen people of God, it would be to be converted out of what they saw as the legitimate faith. And so uh, so John shouldn't be baptizing as a sign of conversion because nobody's supposed to be converted who's already a Jew, right? And then the other option, if John is baptizing as a mark of purification, um, pure, John, John the Baptist was not a, a priest or a Levite, and, and it was the temple's domain, it was the temple service that that handled cleansing of people. And so John the Baptist didn't have authority, not being a priest, to declare anybody cleansed. So he was sort of getting outside of his lane. He was exceeding his authority. He was in presumption if it was for cleanliness. So they can't imagine that it's legitimately for conversion or for cleansing. And so they're like, so why are you baptizing? And in their heads, right, the only other options would be that he would be some some figure so significant to the Jewish people uh, that he would have perhaps some other reason. That is, that he would be either the Messiah, uh, or he would be Elijah, or he would be the prophet, right, come with some new sort of revelation or whatever. And, and John says, uh, John says, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even who he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And so you'll notice here that that John sort of evades their question. He says, the the real question is, uh, I'm baptizing with water, but there's somebody bigger than me coming. You should be looking for the one who's who's coming after me. And John makes this stunning statement of the relative... Um, worth, if you will, of, of, uh, of Jesus. Um, he says, the one coming after me, right, is so, so significant, so impressive, um, that I, that I can't even untie a sandal. So in those days, if you had a teacher, if you had a rabbi, and he had disciples, and they, they traveled with him, uh, the, the disciples were required to serve their master, they, they basically functioned as slaves or servants to them. But it was considered beneath the, a disciple, it was considered beneath them to, to, like to take their master's shoes off or wash their feet or anything. That was something only the most menial of slaves did. And so it's not like John is saying, like, there's somebody better than me um, to, that, that I'm learning from or that, that's teaching me or that's a little bit above me. He's saying, you know that job that's so menial that like even a disciple wouldn't have to do it to their master. Only the lowest of slaves would have to do it. He said, I'm not even worthy to do that job for the guy who's coming, right? So the, 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 the Jews, they have their minds fixed on the wrong thing. And John says something far, far bigger 
is coming. So um, that's where we're going to leave it for this week, is just this idea that that John, although he's he's sort of engaged in this activity that that the the Jews, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they think that it's it's a gross presumption of him to be doing this, to be baptizing people, unless he is some like cosmically significant figure, the Messiah, Elijah, or the prophet. Like this is the only grid that would allow John sort of the presumption of doing this baptism. And John says, you think this is a big deal? Look, I'm not even worthy to, to untie the sandals of the guy who, <laughs> look at this description, he says, he stands among you and you don't know him, right? This brings us back to this indicator that John gave earlier, right? He said, um, he came to his own, but they didn't recognize him. And now John the Baptist is saying, there's one among you, you don't know him yet. Uh, he's so far beyond me that I can't, that, that I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals. Not only has John, the evangelist writing this gospel, not only has he said, John the Baptist, this famous dude that people had heard about, not only was he pointing at Christ as the greater one, but also John the Baptist had been testified about by Isaiah. So now you're bringing in the witness of Isaiah, and then he's bringing in the prophet, and he's saying, remember the prophet that was yet to come? Like, this is Jesus. Um, and and of course, the the main huge testimony of this of this gospel is that Jesus is the Christ, and that's what John wants us to believe. So we have all of this like weighty Old Testament testimony coming and pointing through John the Baptist to Jesus, and John the Baptist is affirming it. And so we are fast along our way to this um, incredibly high view of who Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Thank mm -hmm. you.